0: This morning we're looking at the subject uh, of being a a citizen and being a Christian and what that means, what the Bible has to tell us about uh, being uh, that kind of example that we need to be in the world that we live in. And as we open in the scriptures, we might be thinking, you know, how how are we going to come to that? How are we going to draw that out? And if you go on and kind of skip ahead and go to Acts 22, I think you'll go on and see. We see the example of Paul and the way that he lived. He lived under the Roman Empire. He lived under a lot of absolute authority. And yet he was able to use his citizenship to spread the gospel and to do great good by it. And I hope that we as Christians will think about some of these things. And as we look through the Bible, we gain some wisdom from what is expressed here. So what did you think about on Independence Day? You just had it, uh, you know, a few days ago. You know, I I think about my family members, uh, my grandfathers who served, my dad, my father who served uh, in defending this country. I think about um, my relatives now, my sister, my brother, my brother-in-law who are serving currently. Um, And it means a lot to me as I think about this. I think about the founding of our country. I think about how uh, our rights are based upon us being endowed by those rights by our creator. And I love that as being a foundation of this country. And that having these basic things as a basis of, of our nation, as long as we've had God there as the foundation of rights, we've had a way of which we can repent, you know, as, as a nation. You're not going to find a perfect nation. And, and I know a lot of times the description has been given to the United States as being the greatest nation. Uh, to be more honest with you, I think the spiritual nation that is the church is the greatest nation, the nation of which... It says that we are God's people and his nation in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are that nation. But we can be thankful for the rights and the blessings that we have in this country. And we can take those rights as citizens and use them for greater things. And I think that we've seen that. We look at the mission work that's been done in our brotherhood and the churches of Christ to be able to go out into various places in the world and to have the support from our, our parent country to have those rights, to know that they have our back, if anything were to happen to us wherever we go. That is a blessing and something to thank God for. And I think it's very providential that we have those things and, and that support to where in the churches of Christ we can, we can do things like that, that we can use our citizenship to help spread the gospel. So when I think about those things, and, and I, I don't know what your thoughts were on Independence Day. It might have been fireworks and hot dogs and things like that. Um, And we got to see some of that, but I really think about how much a blessing it is uh, to be a citizen here in America and to be a Christian and to be able to have that influence on this nation. I believe, as I look at the history of our nation, that it was founded as a Christian nation. Of the 250 founding fathers of the United States, uh, only four of them professed to be a deist, and a deist back then meant that you believed in God, and many of them believed in Jesus, but they did not believe that the Bible was infallible. And so you had about four of them out of about 250. And to think about that, I think it helps us to understand um, you know, why we believe what we do and how great uh, this nation is. One man uh, famously said, I think it was G.K. Chesterton, said that America is a nation with the heart of a church and its creed, the Declaration of Independence. Um, and you can, you can see some of that as the founding of this country. But my attention this morning would be to look at that greater nation that we are a part of as the church, as we are Christians to use our citizenship for a greater thing. And we see right here that our citizenship, and the word here that's used for citizenship here in Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21, refers to us having a commonwealth. We have a blessing to gather something that God has promised to give in us eternal life and we see it here in this passage Paul revealed he says but our citizenship that is our commonwealth is in heaven and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself and here we've got the promise from God of eternal life of a glorious body, of the hope that, uh, of that citizenship in heaven. And we are to live our life like that while on this earth. And the things that we face and we struggle through, we lean upon that, upon the promises of our Creator as we are, are citizens of that church and that nation that He has established. We start looking and, and ask, asking some questions Uh, about how we are to act in our society and within our country today, a lot of things may come up. Uh, I remember learning in in the history of the Churches of Christ that before World War II, that most members in the church were pacifists. Maybe you've never heard that before. And that World War II changed that. And that when you had a a just war where you see the need to to stand up and, and fight, as Christians and Christian citizens and soldiers, that they took that stand and, and it changed. You know, now most of us within the body of the Churches of Christ would say, yes, I believe in serving the country and I see nothing, no conflict with serving as a soldier uh, as long as I do it with the right conscience. And again, I'm following the Scriptures and what I'm doing. I can't, of course, say, well, the nation says to do this, I'm going to do it merely on that. Uh, the government says to do it, I'm going to have to, first of all, follow God and follow Christ. So should Christians avoid acting as citizens in this world because they have a greater citizenship in eternity? And some have reasoned that way. Then some have thought, well, I don't really need to be involved. In fact, if you look at a lot of people out there who claim faith and belief in God and in Christ today, there are millions within the United States who do not vote. Even though they, be- they believe that and that they believe the Bible, they don't vote because they think that they shouldn't. And I think that also shapes our country and has a big effect on who's in office and and what happens within this nation. And I think it's a a very strange and peculiar thing that we would not do that, Um, that we would not use every ability that God has blessed us with to have an influence on those around us. And I hope that we'll think more about that. So what can Christians do as citizens in America? What are the blessings that, that we have? So if our country continues on its path that it's going and it becomes more and more godless, more and more secular, more and more immoral, what are we going to do? With society, or it comes to the point where I can see it coming, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, even uh, greater persecution on those who believe in Christ and stand by biblical principles. That may be coming. Paul faced that head on. Whether it was under Judaism, or whether it was under the Roman Empire, he sets an example for us. And I hope that we will look at it uh, this morning. So in Acts chapter 22, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on what happens here. Um, Paul's going to be arrested. He comes back to Jerusalem. He brings a great gift for the church there. And there he brings uh, others to be purified. They're being still under the law and practicing the things there in Jerusalem, being Jewish uh, Christians and believers. And, and some accused Paul of bringing Gentiles into the temple, and there's actually a marker in Jerusalem around the temple which no Gentile, no one of another ethnicity, rather than being Jewish, could cross over. But he's accused of that, and a violent mob seizes him and they begin to beat him. They drug him from the temple, and right then the, the Roman tribune with his the soldiers they come down, they stop them, they stop the beating of Paul. And they arrest Paul and they bring him in and they're going to question him. And they are well, they are also going to beat him. You know, Paul does get an, an opportunity there in Acts 22 to speak to the people. He uses it to talk to them and to express his faith and why he became a, a Christian and why he was baptized and, and what he believed and that he would be that he should be no offense to them. But again, they, they don't want to listen to him. And I think it's interesting because Paul does something very interesting here. When the tribune takes him in and they're about to beat him, Paul does this thing that we see throughout the Scriptures where he is a Roman citizen. And most people think, here's a Jewish man, he's not a Roman citizen. That's the thinking of the tribune, that's the thinking of those around him. And he holds that back. He doesn't come forward and say immediately, and a lot of these occasions, I'm a Roman citizen. And it ends up for a blessing. I want to look here in Acts 22, verses 22 to 29. Acts 22, 22 to 29. So we're we'll going to read this text and we'll make some observations from it. All right, look at verse 22. It says, Up to this word they listened to him, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. They're going to beat him and whip him him further for stirring this mob up. They're blaming him. It says right here, To find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? So he uses his citizenship here. Roman citizen, and I've not been judged, I've not been condemned. Verse 26, And when the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. And so the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. And so those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. What he had done uh, would go, was go too far. And Paul does this. He allows a lot of these circumstances to go further than what they should. And it ends up being for his blessing. He's going to receive protection now. He's going to get his full rights now. So Paul, again, allows the Romans to stretch him out to whip him. Paul waited to profess that he was a born citizen. I mean, he could have said while they were tying him up or before they got to that point, listen, I'm a Roman citizen. He doesn't do that. But this, again, secures him that he has a trial and that they're going to send him down to Caesarea. Or he actually has a choice later on to be in Caesarea where the legion is, where Rome is, where the decisions are made, where the governor usually stays. Or he could go up here before the Jewish Sanhedrin, at which the tribune's going to take him, the, the Jewish Supreme Court there in Jerusalem. So he uses Roman citizen and he does it to gain influence and protection. And we see the Apostle Paul doing this throughout the scriptures. Every time he has an opportunity for professing the faith and someone's accusing him, he preaches the gospel. He teaches the truth. Just as Jesus predicted and said in Matthew chapter 10, you're going to stand before governors and before officials and you're going to proclaim the gospel. You're going to teach the truth before them. That's what Christ said to his disciples. And we see that fulfilled specifically in the apostle Paul. He does that. He has boldness in it. I've gotten away from watching certain news stations lately, but I still like to look at uh, C-SPAN. I like to see things that are more, you know, real, things that are going on uh, actively. And so if there's a hearing or if someone's uh, standing up in a town hall, you get to see a lot of those things. And you get to, to hear the average citizen or person come and speak what they believe in. And I love it when you can see someone who comes forward and says, I believe in God and I believe in Christ. And this is where we believe, and this is where we need to go as a a country and as a nation, and we need to repent. Uh, Those things are are wonderful, and I'm encouraged by seeing that. And, And I think about that, and I think about the example of the Apostle Paul. So like Paul, Christians should use every opportunity. We should use our citizenship, our blessings, the rights given to us, and the rights, of course, given to us by God for protection and for the spread of the gospel. Being a Roman citizen, what did it mean? It meant that you had the freedom from certain punishments. It meant that you had an appeal to Rome to have a fair trial. It meant that you had a right to vote. If you weren't a Roman citizen, they could kill you. In fact, they would most likely would, if they didn't like you, and if you violated or offended the Roman government in some way, they can simply crucify you, which is what happened with Christ. But Paul uses his blessings here. When he's given a choice by the governor Festus of going to Jerusalem or Rome, he appeals to Rome. He gives his vote. He gives his decision. He uses his ability here that is given to him under the Roman government to make that decision. And I think to a lot of us today, that seems pretty obvious that we would do that. That we would make those choices. That we would stand on this ground. But in times past, many people have thought, you know, I'm just going to be again disconnected. I'm going to have no involvement of what is going on in the community, in the country, in the nation around us. But I don't think we can avoid it. Paul couldn't avoid it. It's not like he, Paul is getting into politics here. He's going out and preaching the gospel and preaching the truth. And that offends people. As the, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, To some we are of a fragrance of life, and to others we are a fragrance of death. You see that in that reaction. Furthermore, after Paul was arrested here, he uses his rights, Acts 23, uh, he finds out his nephew comes and reports to him and then reports to the tribune that 40 uh, Jewish men have set themselves not to eat until they have killed Paul. And so Paul uses the military protection that's given to him. You go and you read in in Acts 23, it's fascinating what happens there. If if you like the tactics and, and the things that go on within the military, you have the tribune, he gets uh, 400 foot soldiers to protect Paul. That's certainly enough against 40 men. And then another 70 uh, horsemen, cavalrymen to protect him. That's a lot. And to send them out at night as far as they can go. And when they reach a certain point, they launch out further to where Paul rides with those 70 into Caesarea for for his protection. He uses that. Now, Paul doesn't say here, listen, i am not about uh physical warfare i'm only about spiritual warfare so i'm not going to use this i'm just going to go out on my own paul uses this protection this blessing here uh, those around him uh, and what is a blessing for being a citizen he uses that for his own security and i think again we want to do the same as well we might also ask the questions while we're on this we're looking at soldiers can christians serve as soldiers and there's some things to note about this in the scriptures. When John the Baptist is preaching, the soldiers come to him and they say, what must we do? How should we repent? He tells them, don't take bribes. Don't, don't uh, take more than what your wages are. Don't abuse that. He doesn't say to them, quit being soldiers. Stop serving under Rome. He doesn't say that. We have others in the Bible. We read about Cornelius, who's a centurion, who converts. There's nothing in the scripture that says that he would no longer be a centurion, that he stops being a soldier. Or the Philippian jailer that we see the Philippian jailer. He's converted and baptized at night and he returns to the jail and goes back to doing his service and his work there in the city of Philippi. And we have nothing in Scripture that indicates that someone would stop doing that or stop serving in the government as long as they did it according to what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures mention the government being the sword given by God in a positive way to... to um, and force justice and to bring justice against those who do evil. That God has instituted that power in Romans chapter 13. In fact, the government is called God's minister, and the Greek word being a deacon or diakonos. Not as in a deacon of church, in the church, of course, but as an official sermon of God. God has a purpose for it. That doesn't mean that God approves of everybody that comes into office and in what they're doing. Certainly not when Paul is writing some of these things. Nero is coming into power. In fact, when Peter says in 1 Peter 2, which that passage is up there, when he says submit to the government, that's under Nero who's persecuting Christians, who's going to blame them for burning Rome, who's going to put them up on crosses and burn these Christians and Paul, uh, Peter says there, again, submit to the government. To get a bigger picture of this, why would that be a good thing? Why would you do that? If you read the book of Revelation in detail, you see that in the persecution of the government, God's providence will work out. Even if we were to lose our lives before what we believe in, greater things come from that, that Christ ultimately in the end will win. And no power that is corrupt like that will continue to stand. And I think that continues to, to frighten a lot of people today. And we turn on the news and we look at the things going on and you see some of the corruption. You know, is it, is it going to get worse? Possibly. Right now it looks like it is. But in the end, God is going to bring about justice. Whether we get to see it in, in this life or the next, he is going to work it out. What we do is stand by our faith. Stand for the truth. Another thing that stands out to me about soldiers here is that the Bible often describes us as soldiers. You know, if it's a, it was a sinful and an evil thing, I don't think the Bible would say, I want you, you know, be like this evil person or this evil occupation. Scripture, I don't see doing that. What we have here, again, are descriptions of us and God's spiritual army and His kingdom serving in this way. And I think what we've seen this morning as is what Paul says right here. Uh, I'm sorry, what Jesus says right here. Is he tells Christians to be wise, his disciples be wise as servants and innocent as doves. You live a right life. You don't do evil. You don't extort anybody. You treat others with respect and kindness. But you be wise in how you behave and how you take the gospel and the truth to others. And I hope that we think about that this morning. One other occasion before we finish this morning I want to share with you was in Acts chapter 16. You remember this? Paul goes to Philippi, and first Lydia and her household are converted, and then Paul and Silas, there's a woman following them around who has, um, a, you know, has a demon, and she's annoying Paul, I guess you could say, and he casts out the demon from her, and those who were her masters find out that this has happened, and they get angry at them. So they take Paul and Silas, and they... Drag dragged them before the magistrates of the city, and they beat them with many blows, it says. The magistrates encouraged them to do that. Then they lock them up in stocks in the inner prison in the dark of that night. And Paul and Silas, after going through all that, it also says they were stripped of their clothing. They are humiliated. You know, Paul doesn't, you would think that Paul and Silas, both of them being Roman citizens, would have said at the beginning, wait a minute, don't do this. You know, you can't strip us of our clothing. You can't bind us or put us in prison. You can't beat us. They don't do that. And by their actions and by them enduring that suffering, they're going to end up bringing freedom, not just to them, but to the whole church in Philippi, that church that's going to be supporting them uh, throughout other missionary work. And and as we were part of the Bible study this morning in Bible class, as Paul goes out throughout uh, that northern region of Macedonia and into Achaia, Today, that would be in the area of Greece, that he ends up, through this suffering, doing great things. You know, I think about that. You, you think about that, um, for instance, the baker out in Colorado who would not make a um, cake for a wedding for two men. I think it was two men. Same-sex marriage. And he has been sued. Now he's on his third lawsuit being brought before the Supreme Court again. And I th- I'm thankful for examples. I don't know, I-, I know that he believes in Christ and believes in God and believes in the Bible. I don't know what church he's a part of. But I'm thankful that he endures what he has for us to help again reaffirm the rights that we have and the ability that we have as Christians to stand by the truth. And I see that in that example in Paul here. So after, after there um, is an earthquake and Paul and Silas could escape. The jailer's about to kill himself. We read that in Acts chapter 16. And, he, and the jailer ends up asking him, "How do I need to, what do I need to do to be saved? And he teaches, Paul and Silas, they teach this, the jailer and his family. And they're baptized at midnight. And then after all that, after they've been given some food and they've been cleaned from their beatings, the jailer brings them back to the prison. They go back to the prison. They could have just escaped or left the city. They don't. They go back to the prison. And in the morning, the magistrates say, we want you to take these men, Paul and Silas, and let them go. Uh, let them go let them be free paul and silas refused that they said we're not going anywhere we're roman citizens and at that point when you read Acts 16 they become very afraid of what they've done and how they've acted even then the magistrates come and they beg them and they apologize to them and they try to get them to leave the city but you know what paul and silas do they don't leave they go on a visit with lydian they go back to the uh, the jailer and to others And they visit before they leave. They're not in any hurry now. Why? Because they stood up for what they believed in. They stood their ground. And they used their ability here as citizens. And I think that's an amazing thing to think about you got some of the Scriptures here. I think I've gotten a little ahead of myself. But here, Acts 16, 35-37 says, And when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. That's interesting. Now we can go in peace after they've been stripped and beaten and put in prison in stocks. And Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. I find that very powerful. And so the scripture goes on and says, and the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid, and they heard that they were Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they'd seen the church, that is, they encouraged them and departed. we think about these things, I hope that we as Christians think about how that we, we behave and our behavior toward those who are governing above us. I pray just as much for President Trump as I did for President Obama. And I pray for those governing officials, and I pray for the governors, and I pray for um, those those who are in these positions within our our community. Even though I may disagree with what they stand for and what they say and some of their actions, I'm doing that because the Bible tells me to. The Scriptures go on and tell us to honor those who are above us. And I hope that we do this, that we don't go around just bad-mouthing certain people all the time. And you see it on social media, the very hateful words to one party or the other. The Apostle Paul, as he stood before Governor Felix and Festus, these are Roman governors. These are men who are in an in a, in a empire where slavery is rampant, where sexual immorality is, is rampant, where people, if they don't want their second daughter, which many of them didn't, they would just expose them. They'd put out the child, the infant, in the streets and let them die. Paul still honors them, and speaks kindly to them. King Agrippa, with the sins that we know from his history, he still shows respect to King Agrippa and honors them. Peter says, honor those leaders. And listen to what Titus, this was our scripture reading this morning, Titus 3, 1 through 2. And he says, remind them to be submissive to the rulers and the authorities. Submit to them. Now, if it's not a matter of going against your faith and against Christ and God, then submit to them. He says to be obedient to be ready for every good work, listen to this, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. I don't think we're going to be able to persuade the other side in, in disagreements if we are hostile toward them, if we're speaking evil about them, especially even behind their back. Now, what the Bible tells us, 1 Timothy 2, is to pray for the nations leaders pray for them and we could ask this question should Christians honor and obey rulers who support abortion as i mentioned earlier roman empire allowed this allowed you to kill your infants even after they were just born what do the scriptures show us now, i strongly disagree with it and i think this is a great sin a greater sin in our nation than slavery was. The murder of innocent, unborn human life. At the same time, I'm going to do what the scriptures say, and I'm going to honor and obey the governing authorities as much as I can. I'm going to show the respect there that is, that is needed. Why? Because I want to use my citizenship to spread the gospel not to bring a bad name on the church. And I ask you today, how would you stand by faith in Christ before the public arena? With social media, and you can almost put anything out there today, or if you go stand in the town hall meetings, in city hall, or, or whatever it might be, how will you be perceived? How will you present yourself as a Christian? I hope that we can look to the example of Paul as we did today. You know, this is what Paul did all the courts and everything he stood before, he preached and he would talk about his conversion. And whether he was talking to Felix or Festus or King Agrippa or to all the Jewish people or to the Jewish Supreme Court. And even as you back up into Acts chapter 2, the early apostles of Peter and John, as they stood before the Jewish Sanhedrin the Jewish Sanhedrin, uh, the Jewish uh, Supreme Court. They preach the gospel. They said the reason we stand here is because Jesus rose from the dead, and we believe in the resurrection and the last day, and that's what we're going to proclaim. And you hear that here. Paul says this, but this I confess to you, that according to the way—that's what the church was being called at the time—the way, which they call a sect—I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. In other words, I believe the Bible. Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. What Paul is saying is, here I have these Jewish men, mostly of, this, of the Sanhedrin, of the Sadducees, accusing him of d- causing problems because he preached the resurrection. And Paul says, this is it. This is all I'm doing As I'm going by what I believe in, and that's what I proclaim to you. And I hope today that's what we'll do. The first thing we're going to proclaim and teach the others is, I believe in God, is the foundation, who's the creator of all things, the foundation of our moral values, and that he has sent Jesus Christ, who died and was buried and rose again. That's what we proclaim. That's where we need to stand as Christian citizens. This morning, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, it is his death and his burial and resurrection. The only way you're going to have real freedom in this life and freedom from sin is to obey the gospel and all your sins will be washed away, according to Colossians chapter two, verses 12 through 13. That is that you believe and you confess that you that you are baptized uh, after you've uh, repented of your sins and that from baptism is God who raises you up. I want you to listen to what Paul says here as Ananias exhorted him. Paul gave this account as he was standing before those people, before he was beaten there that we read about in Acts 22. He says, Ananias said to him, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. That's what Paul preached again, using his ability and his voice as a citizen. I encourage you this morning, if you haven't put on Christ in baptism, follow the scriptures. It says right here that you wash away your sins. God washes away your sins in baptism. If you need to repent, If you need prayers, we encourage you to come right now while we stand, while we sing.